I'm Alex Hirsch, the voice of Old Man McGucket. I'm uh, Rob Renzetti, the voice of no one. <laughs> You're the voice of reason. Ah, the voice of reason. Yes, that's my voice. Um, and this is Society of the Blind Eye. With a very unreasonable character, Mr. Fiddleford McGucket. So I don't know if a lot of people know this, but um, at, the, at the very end of season one, um, we knew that there was going to be a long hiatus, and so we decided to make some shorts. Um, and I wanted to hide some really cool codes in the shorts because at this point we knew that fans were going to find any code we hid. Yeah. Um, and so we came up with this cool visual of this eye with an X through it. And I thought, okay, if you watch all of Dipper's Guide and you cut together all, there's a frame in each one. If you put them together, it's it's an image, and in that inside that image is a message, and that message is search for the blind eye. Um, and I had no idea what it meant. <laughs> yeah, it meant nothing. It meant it, nothing more than that. It was right? literally meaningless. It was yeah. just like, that's a really cool sounding phrase, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, I like it. I'll bet we could think of something cool to do it, assuming we do a second season, which I'm not fully sold on yet. And then when we started to do a second season, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> now I gotta pay it off. We need to figure out what that means. Um, and yeah. uh, you know, I was, I'll say this, I was obsessed with secret societies when I was in high school. Um, I wore a Shriners Fez to prom, which shows you, A, how committed I was to it, and B, why girls didn't like me. Yeah, no, you were making mistakes. <laughs> you better believe I was. Um, and I was like, I would go to all of the, uh, like, uh, like, old rummage sales, and I would go to graveyards, and I would go to antique shops, and I'd look for anything connected to Shriners, yeah. to Masons. Yeah. I was obsessed with Skull and Bones and the Illuminati. Sure. Um, and, you know, the, the, the Stone Masons episode, the... Uh, uh, episode of The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, that's um, a, what a great episode. Like that was like my favorite episode growing up, and I was like, we've got to do a secret society episode at some point. Yeah, and so search for the blind eye. Maybe there's a society of a blind eye, and from that we work backwards to sounds like maybe they use memory guns. Well, the whole thing was like we had to rebuild, we had to rehabilitate McGucket in some way. Well, that and that because was we another... knew he was going to factor into the end, yes. and yet we'd set him up. It's interesting because rewatching these episodes, I would have told you McGucket was in every other episode, whatever. He's in almost every episode we did. He has one, at least one gag where he's like, here's the dumb hillbilly. There's a lot of McGucket in season and one. And none of that was intentional. I feel like, remember, I remember you got you put him in the gobble wonker and Eric Coleman, who was our kind of the big exec at Disney, like really responded to him. And he's like, hey, that character. Got a star character there. Yeah. And we're like, what? Really? The dumb hillbilly character? That That's the guy that stood out. Well, but because of that, like, it made us reconsider him and use him more than we would have otherwise done. We, we talked about in, in season one how he really, there was no continuity when we first came up with him. And season two, I remember when I finally agreed, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going back into the breach. We're doing a second season. Part of my mission was I wanted to address a lot of the things that I wasn't happy with in season one. Mm -hmm. And one of those, there's characters like McGucket, who is just a one-dimensional character. Characters like Pacifica, yeah. like, uh, you know, yep. like I wanted to see a sweet side to Robbie. I was like, can we take these characters who are just kind of one-note jokes and yep. can we breathe life into them? And it was one of our very early conversations about let's have a whole fake out with McGucket potentially being the author. Right. And we had a very we had a couple very different ideas. There's that one with the underwater town, remember? Where yeah, they, we, yeah, McGucket yeah, yeah. built a submarine and that was always a fun idea, but we never cracked that. Um I love the idea that part of Gravity Falls was underwater. And that McGucket had like something down there. Yeah. Um but in, in order to justify you know, so many of these things are us working backwards from what what is our goal? Our goal is we want to do a secret society episode. We need to pay off that random phrase that I threw into code words and we yes. want to dimensionalize McGucket. And if you say, okay, well if McGucket is connected to the history of the show, but he doesn't remember 
And we've got a society called Society of the Blind Eye. Maybe they're a society of memory erasers. Yeah. Um, like, it, it, it literally is, we're building this out of those pieces of what we yeah, need. Yeah, out of what we needed. Um, and, and Matt Chapman uh, was one of the writers on this episode. Um, <laughs> the first draft, we thought, okay, to make it Gravity Fallsy, if it's a secret society, we need to put them somewhere weird. So originally, do you remember this, Rob? They were the, the secret society was in an old like blockbuster, yes, yes. like an abandoned video yes. store. It was like a video store. It was almost like a video factory. Like it was like a video store, but then there was a like where they manufactured the videotapes too. I think they we ended up in a factory at some point. And I think part of that was the idea of like, oh, we could find an old tape of the Young McGucket, right, and it could exactly. be an old videotape, and maybe yes. the tape is lost. Yeah. Um. And there was also this idea of like, oh, it's Gravity Falls. We never just play it straight. Right. If it's a haunted house, it's a haunted convenience store. Exactly. Um. But I remember I and I. I I was really jazzed on it. I remember I read that draft of the script and I was like, this is our big mystery episode and it feels too silly. Yeah. Like part of my mission for season two was also, I wanted to treat the mystery, take it more seriously and like really kind of, some of the promises in episodes, like I remember when I first saw um, Irrational Treasure back, Brad Breek's score added this feeling like there's something really going on here. Yeah. And I was like, I want to do an episode that feels like that. So we made yeah. a late change to say, okay, it's actually, it takes place at the History Museum. We These guys are in red robes chanting inside yeah, the yeah, skull yeah, yeah. and bones. Like, yeah. we're like, let's, let's go for it. Yeah. Because like, you know. Well, we, and also McGucket is silly enough on his own. Yes. And, I mean, he's kind of bringing the silly aspect of the show just he, by being in it and adds, being in it so prominently. Yeah, he adds the ridiculousness enough um, and we thought it would be a good fake out and I actually uh, in season one when fans were starting to figure out Stan's got a brother I was like oh shoot uh, you know, we didn't do, we didn't come up with a red herring. Like one of my big mistakes in season one is we've got this question of who's the author without a good setup for a red herring yeah. for who they could be. And yep. that's part of why fans figured it out. So I was like, well, it's the, it's the era of the internet fandom. Let me try something that's never been done before. I'm going <laughs> to leak a fake screenshot yeah. of McGucket as the author. And I'm going to start hopefully getting this. I'm going to create a red herring yes. through internet trolling. Perhaps, perhaps your finest moment on the show <laughs> was um, scamming the fans that way. <laughs> well, it was, you know, I was like, let's, let's, let's Let's try every tool at our disposal. Maybe, yeah, maybe this will work. It was a good idea because um, we had a whole we had a whole season until they get to the answer. We knew that there they was going to be figured out at least a year before people got to it. So we needed a red herring. So I, I leaked that fake screenshot, and then this episode was meant to be the big payoff. Yeah, and this is kind of a, con a continuation of that idea. There's yes. like, is is McGucket the author? Does that even make sense? How could it make sense? You it, know, it it seems plausible, and I think it was. The idea that he wasn't the author but worked with the author was just enough yes. of a, we're getting closer, it's yeah. getting more complicated. Um, we feel like we got some answers, but we're, we're hungrier for questions and you know, hungrier yeah. for answers than we were before, Yes, which is a good mystery, answers stuff, but makes you even more curious. And eventually when we get to Ford and see their backstory and see their relationship, it just makes uh, all the stuff that happens with the portal and what happens with Ford and all that more poignant that he had someone there who was not only his friend, but also a voice of reason in telling him to stop and that he wouldn't listen to him. As opposed to Ford being down there on his own with nobody to bounce off anything off or anybody to say, hey, wait yeah. a minute, is this a good idea? Well, and uh, Rob, Rob and I co-wrote journal number three. Um, and, you know, I have to, we have a lot of different people on these, on these commentary tracks. And I'd say like, you know, Michael Rianda, he was one of the guys who was best with sort of making the characters likable and heartfelt and also pushing us to do the most insane gags. I think one of the things that Rob really brought to this show that nobody else could have was the amount of care and consideration about 
about the mysteries and about trying to make this stuff work and make it track. Um, because I, I feel like a lot of people just don't have a head for season arcs and season continuity. Mm -hmm. And um, like, you know, you, you were really a kindred spirit with me in that and trying to make this stuff work. And when we wrote the journal, it was so great to finally all the conversations we had had, because once we started to figure this out, okay, McGucket was the assistant, yeah. and he was maybe this assistant who sort of put upon, and, and Ford kind of brought a college buddy together with him, you know, almost as Ford is somebody who lost Stan, is kind of looking for, even though he rejected his brother, he kind of needs, yeah. he needs that other person, yeah. and he, he tried to find that in this kind of sweet prodigy, um, and he just pushed him too far, yeah. um, like, uh, and it was, it was so much fun actually finally getting to write that story, but you know, at this point, we were figuring out those pieces. Yeah, uh, got to give a shout out to Peter Serafinowicz, uh, amazing comic actor. He's also the voice of Darth Maul. Um, wow! In uh, I, I did not know that. He, he does. He he can do pretty much anything. He's amazing. He's got such gravitas in his voice. It's just natural. And um, it, he was and his kid was a fan of the show, which is why he agreed to do this. I mean, that's why we got a lot of the big voices. We got season two, right? Because it was out there and people it started to have a reputation. It was much yes. easier to attract that big name talent to the show and get them to come in and do something, no matter how small. I, I remember um, him bringing his child to the record, and he was in Britain, so he was you know we were doing it remotely. Yeah. Um, but I remember he said, uh, you know, oh, I'm happy to do the show. It's uh, for my um, it's for my son here. Say hello, Sam. And I heard this cute little British kid go, I love Gravity Force. <laughs> and it was like the most satisfying did moment. You, did you picture him like with coal on his cheeks? and the, Please, I'm and, starving. Uh, give, me, <laughs> give me porridge. I'm a chimney sweep, I am. Like it was, it was so sweet and it made me feel so good about like, you know, yeah. I, I almost well, didn't do more show and I was no. like, okay, I'm glad I did it. I'm, yes. I'm glad I did more Gravity Falls. Yes. This cute, adorable kid needs it. Yes, he needed it. Everybody did. Um, Everybody a lot of these it. just funny jokes about like, just like unsee you later and it is unseen. I think Matt Chapman, I have to give him a lot of credit for that in his early draft of this. Yeah. Uh, also got to give our prop designers, like that mind eraser is so cool. Yeah. The way that it was resolved. I think Sabrina's storyboards, I think she might have figured out the pieces, this sort of weird steampunk piece of machinery where it's, yeah. it, it zaps your mind erasing it and it, it keeps that data somehow in a canister, but it also records you. And yeah. It makes no sense. It makes but you, no you, sense. You buy it. You buy but it. I love it. I mean, also, wasn't Sunil the director on this episode? Sunil Oh, uh, yes. I got to give Sunil yeah, some credit he's, for that as well. Yeah, he's, he's got a mind for that kind of stuff. He actually started as a prop designer on my show. No kidding. Uh, as Teenage Robot. And he was... I was Sunil's so brilliant. lucky to get him. He's brilliant. With all the crazy props we did on my show, he just really was a really strong asset. And obviously, it was clear he was going to do much more than just be a prop He designer. was a new director I this season. I was very lucky to get him at the time I got him. Oh, and we were lucky to get him on this show because yeah, yeah, he's yeah, one yeah. of those rare directors who can do everything. Yeah. Like, he can do funny funny stuff better than anybody. He can pose out any action. He can figure things out yeah. in a he's way that a, nobody else a can. a beautiful mind in the best sense of the word. Absolutely. Um, this was something I was obsessed with pneumatic tubes as a kid. As well you should be, um, like, because they're awesome. Like, the, the, you're hearing, I was obsessed with Shriners and pneumatic tubes. Like, yeah, I was we know. Dipper. We know who you right? are. <laughs> we know um, at this point. I always wanted to put them in an episode, and I liked the idea that uh, all these canisters are hidden. Yeah. I mean, I could believe that as old as this society is from the 80s, that they were, they were even though this technology is much older than that, that they were using it back then. Uh, Ian, one of my requests for Ian, our art director, was I was like, I want a bunch of ancient-looking symbols. So he had to come up with plausible, fake, ancient-looking symbols, which is like all these symbols job. on these pillars. You totally believe that they are ancient yeah. societies. They're completely made up well, by then, Ian. Did he, did he create all the symbols associated with the portal as well? Uh, yes. Those are all amazing. 
This is a great scene between Mabel and Wendy. Yeah. We don't have a lot of scenes that are just yeah. Mabel and Wendy hanging out. And when she can kind of be like the cool older sister, we yeah. see it in... Incon- I a, love her. We I see love it in Hand her, That Rocks the Mabel. Yeah. I love her complete um, disregard of boys as a concept, <laughs> too. Like, don't worry about them. You know what I mean? Like, the idea... Mabel is so obsessed with boys, and, and Wendy's just like, yeah, whatever. They're a dime a dozen. Like, they... I've had so many boyfriends... <laughs> uh, It'd be interesting to see what man Wendy might eventually uh, end up with if she ever did settle down and, and marry a man. Um, well, we we always he'd have to be something. He'd have to be some kind of specimen. <laughs> we we always imagine that Wendy is she's so she's so confident and she's you know she's having a good time and she's comfortable in her own skin. You know, so if a guy seems kind of cool, she's like, yeah, I'll try it out. And then when sure. she's bored, she's like, yeah, no thanks. And and, <laughs> and leaving them with just this bottomless scar inside their heart. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, here speaking he is, of which, yeah, the scarred the scarred boy himself. It was fun to give an opportunity to, you know, to see some of the re- repercussions of season one. That yes. Robbie, Robbie's still out there. Um, th- this and whole also idea, traumatized and, by the events and a little of traumatized. Th- this whole idea that there's a society that goes around trying to erase evidence of Gravity Falls's weirdness. That they they do it out of this sort of weird, misguided idea to keep the town happy and for everyone's right. mental health and that they had a founder who started this that they don't even remember and that they're kind of on autopilot right now yeah it, it's a very strange concept um part of the idea was that this might a little bit lend sort of a reason like why don't gravity falls people freak out right. about all the magic exactly. stuff happening like it just was like you know we could either ignore that um, or we could and, lean into it or we leaned into it so we decided to lean into it maybe uh, if we never did this episode we would have just ignored it but it was it was a good opportunity to kind of explain that away it took a lot of a, a lot of plan, a, a lot of different drafts and planning and arguments to find something that felt like it worked. And I remember yeah. when you do something like this and you invent a really new piece of canon, you're always wondering: are people going to buy it or are they going to call BS? Like, yeah. And and by and large, people are like this is fun, this is exciting. Right. The mystery's a little bit deeper, and we've added some new layers. So like, generally, if people tend to forgive a bit of contrivance, if it like you know uh, an inch of contrivance, if it gives you a mile of mystery and yeah. entertainment. And yeah, and, if it's and, fun. And if the, the characters is... are in character. Yeah. And if nothing directly contradicts important parts of the series, people are willing to take your to yeah. take take the ride with you. Sure, why not? I mean, I like the idea that the the woodpecker man is is kind of haunted by this bad decision he made to marry his woodpecker wife. This is a this great, guy's great great design. Um, phrenology, for those not familiar, uh, in the in the you know year eighteen fifty, there was a bunch of quack doctors who believed that the shape of your head determined your intelligence, and that they would map out these phrenology heads. It was this total bunk science. You can you can buy them in antique stores, and I think like now like Urban Outfitters is like, oh, it's cool to buy them. Yeah. they've started making new phrenology heads because it looks all retro. Yeah, um, of course. But uh, we love the idea that this guy had all these crazy tattoos. We we wanted him to not be a joke. We wanted him to be scary. And uh, he is. It's, it's, it's disturbing to look at him. That's, now, a, that's that, a character of old Robert Zay. I suppose that's me, though you could also argue that I am also blind diving and that I have a very bald head. <laughs> Every so bald I, character I do not is have, bald. I do not have uh, phrenology on my head. No, no, I don't have tattoos like this. But I think there was a, uh, Alex Kerwin, I think, came in and yes. did some uh, uh, freelance character design. Excellent character design. Art director on my show as well. And I think he, he did a version of me as, as a blind dive. And, of course, I think he probably would wish that that was the final design but he's always trying to get me into cartoons so artists we don't have a lot of power in life but we have it in our drawings so we're constantly like one-upping each other by caricature each other this is the power that we experience yes the only power
This is a very vague, uh, vague uh, uh, suggestion that Ivan has put into the gun here. Like summer, you are going to forget. Does that the, mean they the know, concept of they, summer? They won't remember that there's a season. That summers uh, exist. Summer? I don't know. But yeah, we didn't have a lot of room on that display to make it too complicated. So um, this th- this this season, and in particular this episode, you know, season one, me and uh, Michael Rianda uh, did a lot of late night rewrites and punch ups, and he was no longer there. Um, and most writers, they leave at five o'clock because that's when a job is over. And I would never demand someone to stay later because it's only for someone crazy enough who wants to like Mike. But so I had a lot of completely lonely late nights where it was just me and the script trying to do the punch up that me and Mike used to do together. Um, and a lot of this dialogue comes from those nights. Uh, the whole, all of them, what they say before they think they're going to die, um, was something I added very late into the episode. I love Um, the part about Wendy, how she's stressed stressed all the time, time. which is obviously Um, not what she shows to the world, but you can see it in there. Mabel's line about how she only loves some of her stuffed animals. is just me thinking about my sister and how she kept (laughs) her stuffed animals so long. Um, pretty much all of McGucket's, almost every line of McGucket's dialogue in this episode was, was added very late in the game where I realized We've done so many changes to this that we've lost the craziness of McGucket. Yeah. So I had to add him ham boning. That was um, great. And like, great why addition. is there a bandage on my beard? Like I was trying to make him as weird as he used to be. I like the the bandage on his beard moment because it's a hint that he is coming back to himself in a way. <laughs> oh, that's it's interesting. Subtle. The idea that he's suddenly noticing what a what a strange uh, uh, appearance he has. That like by going on this adventure, like he's starting to like bring these, some stuff. This back. is the first time anybody's asked anything of him in yeah. probably thirty years, which is these people going like, "Hey, you're something more than you're presenting. What are you?" And him go, and him kind of having to focus for a moment and say, "Am I? Am I something more?" What? And I knew McGucket had on? to be the hero of this episode because it's so sad. Yeah. This premise that oh, he's. He's his mind is erased and he's lost his mind and he used to have so much more. Um, yeah, this is a great moment. When and that he basically, maybe even did it to himself. I, I was like, he needs a hero moment. Yeah, here. and this is amazing because he's the one person who you know can defeat this gun having nothing left in his head, as he says, which is which is great. We we like it when a character's weakness becomes an unexpected asset. You can't break what's already broken. Yeah, that's right. I like that he headbutts him because it's still like a very hillbilly way of defeating him. Yes. Well, and also, again, he's using the blunt instrument that he has, which is his brainless head. <laughs> There's nothing in there that he has to worry about. <laughs> that could about. be hurt. I used to, used to headbutt. My friend and I in uh, high school and college had a, like a headbutting uh, vendetta against each other. And it did not feel good on my end. Is this but why I got you went bald from constantly smashing your head against was, things? It, I'm, I'm exaggerating. It happened a few times, but it was enough. It was enough. No, I don't know why I went bald. It's a very sad, tragic story. Kids, Google Pachycephalosaurus. That's the dinosaur that most resembles Rob. <laughs> I don't know that dinosaur, they're these, but now they're those, I have to Those bald it. dinosaurs that bash their heads together. Yeah, I guess that's me. Hold miner on your way out. I'm sorry, but what's my name? Where am I? Oh, might have overdone that one. Your name is Toot Toot McBumbersnazzle. You're traveling banjo minstrel with a song on your heart and funny tattoos on your head. Yes. I am Toot Toot McBumbersnazzle. Cheers. Toot Toot is my name. This, we had to come up with an end for Blind Ivan. We figured, let's make him happy at least. Yes. <laughs> oh, was he, you know, he deserved to be happy. This is great. Um, I actually wanted young McGucket's voice to be Jack McBrayer. That would have been good. Um, and I think we we reached out and we weren't able to get a hold of him. And it was just it was very late in the game. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, I'm young McGucket. 
Well, you are old, old McGucket, so it makes sense. So but it, I remember you being kind of challenged with like, okay, how, what does he sound like? How close is he to what he ends up looking like? I think he did a very good job here. It's it's basically just my speaking voice plus a slight, slight Southern yeah. accent. Yeah. Um, and our artist did such a great job of finding all these intermediate steps. Yeah, I remember my contribution to this was making counting up the days. <laughs> I remember late in the day when I would do my pass on the board, it was like, it had been like less than a year when he was nuts. And I'm like, come on, he's not going to go crazy that quickly. Like, you know, let's get him up at least for a few years where this goes on for I, a while. I'm terrible with numbers and dates and math and logic. And I, whenever there was something about like years or ages or how things fit together, I would just be like, Rob, you handle it and I'll trust. Because yeah. I can't, I, I'm terrible with it. Yeah, at one point I had I came up with a little cheat sheet about when the things in the past happened, like when Stan when Stanford came to Gravity Falls, what year that was, what would make what it year plausible. he left. Well, and I, I would cheat stuff as much as I could, but I, I would try to. Rob would be always trying to pulling me to make it make it make sense. Um, that sequence boarded by Sunil, who's also the director of this episode. He did a phenomenal job, and yeah. I, I really wanted to have like a quiet moment here, like. That to me, that whole sequence isn't supposed to be hilarious. No, like it's like it's I, I, tragic. It's supposed to be tragic. Like I know some people are like, "Oh, that's funny. You get to see all this stuff." But like the the point of it is supposed to be like, like we just wrote this guy off as a joke, and he's actually got a very tragic life. Yeah, and he's actually got a very mature response to learning that, which is the opposite of the McGucket that we've gotten to know. And and part of the idea of the rules of how our memory gun works, which again. When you create fantasy magic, you're creating your own rules. You just have to try, if you can, to be consistent with them. So our yeah. idea was the memory gun, it can erase a concept as designated by the dial. Um, it stores, it, it records you, and it, it, it keeps that recording. And that if you watch that recording, things start to come back a little bit. That it hasn't yeah. actually completely erased it from your mind. It's, it's more sublimated at somewhere where it's really, really hard to reach. Um, and... Uh, and in the, in the series finale, my concept of Bill is that he he wouldn't have, if, if, if he hadn't gotten in all those forms and fought Stan, like, Stan is the one that destroyed Bill. Like, were it just the mind eraser itself, that he would be sublimated somewhere. Right. But, that, like, he was weakened in the mindscape and destroyed in the mindscape. Um, but that Stan's memories were being sublimated and that by looking at the book in the same way that McGucket's memories come right. back, they start to come back to the surface. Now, I know there was a big debate about doing something so uh, consequential to, well, you know, touching on the continuity and the end tag here, but I really love this, and I'm glad we, I, we put it in here. I was worried that people were like, where's that portal? So yeah. I needed a scene where I showed it's still going, and the bandage was just so we could have a bandage in a later episode to show it's connected.